0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Bradley Thompson here, and we are back with another episode of the Living the Canadian Dream podcast, episode number 65. I just checked the episode number. I always get it wrong, and, you know, it's the end of the year, and we're finishing off strong because I got the correct episode number. Um, Happy New Year. If you're listening to this in 2021, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2021, okay? Sam was just giving me a bunch of notes on how to do this podcast, so I actually took her advice and I'm gonna say some of the stuff that she said. She said, "Make sure that you all follow me at I am Brad Thompson on Instagram and all that sort of good stuff, TikTok, and um, make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast. Even feel free to leave a review if you do enjoy the podcast." She said all of this stuff, I swear. And um, the last thing that she said was, "You know, make sure that you're on the lookout." for the latest and greatest episodes that are coming up in 2021. I have a lot of awesome guests that are going to be coming on in 2021. So I hope you look forward to that because it's going to be a dope year. We're going to have some awesome, probably Zoom episodes because we're still in lockdown in Canada. Um, But that's just how it is. We're going to make do with what we can. Um, We're going to figure it out together and we're just going to bring some dope ass content, okay? Because that's what we do here at Living the Canadian Dream Enterprises. Canada, because that's what it is here. <laughs> Living the Canadian dream. Enterprises Canada Inc. Corporate headquarters. That's what we do here. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for a bunch of awesome episodes that are coming up. Today's episodes, as you can see, probably from the title, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's just going to be a compilation, compilation of the greatest hits of 2020. I had some awesome guests on here. I had some great podcasts, and you know, it was a very interesting year. I talked to some. Very interesting people, entrepreneurs, you know, CEOs, athletes, you know creatives, whatever you can think about, I've talked to them on the podcast this year. So make sure that you enjoy today's episode. Grab a cup of java or a beverage, a cold pop, maybe a beverage because it is the new year. You can celebrate a little bit and listen to today's episode. Um, it's just going to be the greatest hits of 2020. A bunch of awesome clips. Even if you did listen to every episode of 2020, you probably forgot some of this awesome um, advice, maybe funny moments and stuff like that. So it's just going to be a refresher. And um, when I quiz you later, you'll at least know the answer. So let's just keep that in mind. Um, But that's about it. I got to go and make some dinner, okay? So if you're watching this and it's the morning, just know that I recorded this when I had to go make some dinner, okay? So that's what I'm going to do right now because it's almost 2021, and I got to go eat. Okay. It's Balkan season, baby. Um that's about it. Thank you always forever. Thank you so much for the support over the last year and just the support over, you know, the last couple of years or the last few years, you know, with this podcast. It's been a couple of years for this podcast, few years for, you know, the blog in general for livingthecanadiandream.com. So thank you so much for the support. I appreciate it. Um Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing all that sort of good stuff. I look forward to 2021. It's going to be a big year. It's going to be dope, um, but I do appreciate it. Make sure you check me out on all social media. If you want to follow the life, follow the TikTok, and just enjoy life. You know, big year coming up. Be disciplined, focus, work hard, and just get after it, okay? Make a New Year's resolution and get after it, okay? But that's about it. We're going to hop into today's episode, The Greatest Hits, Of 2020. This is like the Beatles' greatest hits, but just in podcast form, okay? Enjoy today's episode and, you know, stay blessed, stay fresh, and I hope everybody in your family, your friends are all doing well, and, you know, I hope you get a chance to celebrate with those people, um, whether it's today, tomorrow, or, you know, in the near future once this pandemic subsides. But that's it. We're going to hop into today's Uh, Today's episode, which is the twenty twenty greatest hits um, of the Living the Canadian Dream podcast. I hope you enjoy it and um, keep on keeping on. And we'll catch you all on the flippity flop. Living the Canadian Dream. Uh, So, how did you start this company? Why did you start it? What's your story?
1: Well, I landed in uh, Mississauga and Pearson Airport in 1999 with a $1,200 in my pocket. Okay. I lived in a basement apartment, shared basement apartment. Uh, things were tough. When I wasn't sleeping, I was working. Yeah. It was a lot of hard work. You know, I had to start my life and make a living from scratch. So I had to work at a coffee shop, yeah. despite the fact that I'm a gemologist. Okay. So I'm an expert of diamond. I have a master's degree wow. in geology, but people won't give me an opportunity because I didn't have the Canadian experience. Okay. So I had to really, to get to know Canada and Canadians, I had to work at a coffee shop. For sure. Fast forward, you know, I started working uh, for free at a jewelry store at the Eaton Center. Okay. And I did a night shift at a coffee shop uh, to make some living. Yeah, yeah. And then soon enough, another jewelry store saw my worth and gave me a paid job. Okay. And again, a couple of years in, found small partnership okay. on a sweat equity. And one day my wife called me and said that she was looking for some baklava. Okay. And she pointed out this place called Paramount. and was an industrial area in Mississauga. So I drove there. walked in. was nothing paramount about the place. Yeah, yeah. And I had a conversation with the owner. And he told me that his business was struggling and on the verge of a bankruptcy. And he wanted to borrow some money without knowing me. So I said, look, I don't know you. I'm only here for baklava. Yeah. Handed him my card. And... Just left. But when I got to the car, like, on the way out, he was talking about his 15 employees and chefs... Okay. ...that basically uh, would lose their... Uh, de- uh, like, they'll be deported. They'll lose their immigration paperwork... Okay. ...if they were to shut down the business. Okay. So I got to the car, and that hit me because I thought, like, that was me. Like, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, people were helping me when I came to Canada. Yeah. They made me feel more like a citizen than an immigrant when i arrived and you know due to a lot of canadian people help i became like Mm self-sufficient and a bit better off i didn't have a lot of money at the time but i was okay yeah so i called him back and i said look i would like to listen more i'm not promising anything but i would like to listen more about your story and what's going on so he came back to my office a couple days after explained to me everything and i decided to help him Mm -hmm. So I had just enough money to help him out. And then he told me three to four days after that he's no longer want to continue uh, and he just yeah. wants to leave mm-hmm. because he had other issues with Revenue Canada, with the, his immigration paper. So the staff were worried, were stressed to be deported. So I asked them if they're ready to turn this more than the bakery to a restaurant. Great, yeah. And for me, it was the idea of bringing better Middle Eastern food yeah. to Canada. And the idea of it changing the way people looked at different cultures, and especially the Middle Eastern culture, was looked at really negatively. Yeah. So I wanted to send a great message about immigrants, about Middle Eastern, through food. Yeah. And as we all know, every single culture has something special about sharing bread together, about sure. eating together. Yeah. And. Quite honestly, even today, looking at the world and the mess in the world, yeah. I think breaking your bread together yeah. is the solution of a lot of our problems.
0: I totally agree and with you. And that's where it started the yeah, whole time. That's amazing. Yeah, food always brings people together. It doesn't matter who you are. It brings you together. I agree. You can't, you can't disagree with that. Um... The latest obsession over the last...
2: It piqued my interest at the beginning of COVID. And essentially, uh, it's gone to a full-blown... This is my obsession slash hobby is like... Uh, buying old Game Boys and like modifying them and all Shit, of that stuff. I didn't even stuff. know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, I've been like buying either like pretty beat up or old like Game Boy Advances, Game Boy Colors, Game Boy Pockets, all of those.
0: Just because? Changing
2: the shells, changing the screens, like modifying them, doing a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's been super cool. Uh, are you, you going to
0: try to like resell them?
2: Probably for now, I'm just building a collection. So I bought a whole bunch of like acrylic stands and whatnot. And I'm just kind of displaying them in my room on acrylic stands. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I got a couple like, like there's some close to me where I don't know if the filter. So like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll get like a beat up. It's hard to see what the filter, but like a beat up Game Boy Advance full of scratches and like, yeah, yeah. And that cover and stuff. And then like, you just like change the case, change the buttons, you get like a nice little um colorful screen or um lit up screen because like the original ones are very much like dark and like you need perfect lighting oh so you're actually
0: buying like actual screens
2: yeah so i'm replacing the screens doing some soldering um doing it for a whole bunch of game boys so like just scouring facebook marketplace and kijiji um,
0: how much um how how much are Game Boy, like, colors and advances. It depends.
2: Now. My usual cap is about, like, 40-ish to 50-ish dollars per mm-hmm. device. Yeah. Um, And then sometimes you get lucky where you have, like, you know, a parent selling all their kids' devices. Like, I had one person who sold me, like, four Nintendo DS lights and a PSP for, like, $150 bucks, Jeez. Uh, with a bunch of games.
0: Jeez. Um, I've never, so... I never had a PS... I, well, I never really had any of those like handheld games i had a game boy color like late in life though like <laughs> i think i bought a game boy color in like high school because yeah, one man. of my cu- one of my cousins was like gaming like pokemon i was just like i can hop on that it's like I what know. like 20 bucks to freaking buy a game boy color back then like it's yeah it so like yolo so
2: i think it's been uh it's been a hobby that a lot of people have been picking up recently yeah um, every time i find like a good price and like i hop on it right away the person will be like, Man, I had like so many people messaging me. Like, I don't know what the obsession is with these Game Boy Advances. Like, I thought they were old. And I'm like, I usually like, I think there's a trend of like people doing this now because for sure it's always been like a thing people did, but it was never super popular until I guess all the like COVID just shut everything down. And yeah, people like me are looking for a hobby to do. And it's kind of like a
0: they're getting nostalgia, uh, yeah, nostalgic, technology.
2: inexpensive. And yeah. it's a fun, cool thing to do. And it's like a great way to replay your games on the original stuff, but like, yeah better
0: yeah no no it's interesting and i think you know one of the reasons that's probably becoming so popular is because people are super into pokemon cards now again i don't know if you've seen yeah, this but it's like a YouTube big thing stuff. now yeah it's a big yeah. thing now like pokemon yeah. but also sports cards and stuff like that which is yeah pretty wild. my girlfriend
2: got me into magic um a couple years ago like magic yeah, yeah. gathering uh so i started with like that and like dabbling with that and whatnot and then yeah, over time, all these YouTube videos of Pokemon started popping up, and I just started getting into like watching these videos. I've never bought or owned Pokemon cards. Oh, you but, like, never I at all? When I was like, man, when I was like grade one or two, maybe like my parents bought me a booster pack or two, and I yeah. probably still have the cards somewhere. Yeah. Um, but like as in anything past elementary school, I've never owned or bought Pokemon cards.
0: I have a binder of Pokemon cards somewhere. I don't know cool. where, but. It's somewhere. Same with hockey cards. I loved hockey cards back in the day. And, um, I, I
2: don't get sports, so I don't get hockey cards. Yeah. But I mean, all the power to you, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hockey cards were a big thing, but it's just so crazy. Like, because I know like Logan Paul and all those guys are yeah. like super big into Pokemon. But it's I think that's
2: what kind of tripped over the trend. I think that Logan yeah, it's Paul inflating video, like, the prices
0: everything. and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, it's so wild.
2: I, it's it's freaking yeah, it's insane people need stuff to do over covid so they're just yeah. getting all nostalgic if there's ever time to get nostalgic yeah it's now there's yeah. nothing much else to do
0: yeah that's that's interesting that's an interesting hobby is to like get into like game boy like refurbishing and stuff like yeah that. It's...
2: and my sister just got a literally yesterday a cricket oh pr- yes. pr- printer machine yes. thing, or like it like oh. cuts yes. It's like uh exacto knife like vinyl and stuff head yeah yeah so i found some like apparently there's like paper that you can print on Mm -hmm. and then like this thing will cut it out and then when you put it in water the ink will come off and like you can put it on different objects and stuff like that
0: yeah yeah like you can get like vinyl and stuff i was actually looking at sam and i were looking at them i was like oh i almost impulse bought one i was just like yo it's actually sick it's Um, pretty
2: cool i spent like four or five hours at my sister's place yesterday just like making designs and print like cutting them out and stuff like that it's pretty cool pretty cool
0: yeah because you can do like t-shirts and stuff too i don't know how great the t-shirt printing is just because it is iron on but um i know you can do all that stuff which is pretty sweet yeah
2: it's super cool it's pretty much like and you can just buy the stuff on amazon or any store really yeah uh and then just put in this machine and it cuts it out for you yeah which is Uh, yeah which which is super dope
0: yeah and like i know a lot of people are like bringing up like um like starting like little side businesses and stuff, like for crafts and stuff. I know that's like a big thing that people are doing now. So, you know, those things are pretty dope. I don't know. I yeah,
2: keep an eye out for my Etsy shop. I'll be selling <laughs> literally, bro, and all that stuff. <laughs> literally,
0: honestly. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So, personally, I didn't start in the online space. I think many of us didn't. Uh, I actually started out in the television business. Okay. I personally have like a very kind of odd background. Um, when I graduated college, I finished school in Japan yeah. and uh, was uh, the first Caucasian anchor on Japanese news.
0: No way. Wow. Um, so,
3: I had my career in the beginning where I was kind of a big novelty in Japan and okay. um, and then eventually my career kind of evolved. I became a television producer, and then eventually I had another like big first. I was the first woman president of a television station there. Awesome. Um, so cool. that's kind of how the career started. I was uh, running a TV station called She TV, okay. which was obviously for women. Yeah. Um, so it kind of evolved into when I came back to the United States, um, and I had had such a long career focusing on programming for women, going into a gift registry business made a lot of sense yeah. because that's also very, very targeted to women. Yeah. Um, so I was able to kind of take my past career and evolve it into a future business.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. So you sort of molded into that new direction. Correct. That's incredible. What was the name of the uh, new station in Japan?
3: Well, I worked for NHK which okay. originally, which is the big government public station. Okay. Cool. Um, I worked for a lot of the stations over the years and then very eventually cool. uh, the TV station that I ran was called she TV yeah, which is very yeah. cool and whereabouts in Japan was it uh, it was out of Tokyo okay cool. um, but our corporate parent company was in New York. So I had a four year period where I had to fly New York, Tokyo every other week.
0: Okay. Racked up a lot of frequent flyer miles as you can
3: imagine. Um, And people thought I was like literally crazy. You know, people say, oh yeah, I have like a bi-coastal job. Well, this was like a bi-continental, exactly opposite sides of the world. Which is crazy. um, And was flying, you know, every other week, 14, 15 hours back and forth to work.
0: That's nuts. (laughs) That's crazy. It was
3: good though, because in the end, I actually met my husband okay. on one of those flights. No way! Yep, I met my That's husband on the cool. flight, got married, and um, wow, and had a happy ending to the to the whole you know back and forth, back and forth. That's so amazing. I definitely got got my share out of it.
0: Wow. So you're working out every single morning. Um, how is that going? At home. Um, you still motivated? It's, it's
4: it's going. Yeah, definitely. Some days are a little less motivated you know you find yourself saying like this morning maybe
0: yeah
4: why but you know what's i could take the day off you know yeah um and definitely i i still try to do something even though it's maybe small yeah i mean even it's a, a little workout just to keep my mindset there more more so often so i'm trying to always carve out for sure some sort of little workout you know just so i keep my motivation but it's it's difficult you know you go from a team setting where you have someone telling you you have to work out, you, have, very to work structured, out. you
0: have
4: to it? work out. Yeah. Yeah. To hear like my coach will never know if I'm actually working out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: Um, but I try to to actually keep working out because there's gonna be a day that comes and I have to go back and then that's when everyone's gonna notice. Like of course, okay, you took a couple days off, right? Yeah. You're lying.
0: <laughs> no, it's true. The training
4: doesn't lie. No, yeah, for sure. And and you can you can speak for that yourself. I, I know yeah. you're training a, a ton during yeah. this time and you got your bike indoors yeah. and stuff like that. And
0: yeah.
4: Um it's it's I'm trying I'm trying to find that balance where I'm working out and still trying to enjoy maybe like a little bit of an off season. So like I'm I'm trying to enjoy certain foods and yeah, you know, enjoy the day but still try to work out, you know. So sure. I'm, I'm trying to find a balance right now. I for guess. sure
0: that's great yeah and you, and you might as well because you have the time now so you might as well you know have a balance so that's great that's yeah, awesome. Definitely. that's great so how did you get into soccer you started obviously at a young age and then you sort of really enjoyed it i assume what was your sort of journey like in the soccer world a lot of people mm-hmm. play soccer but you know not, not a lot of people go pro so it's something that is very interesting yeah
4: yeah yeah um, I guess I would have to say it all started. Uh, my dad's very, very big in soccer. Okay. Um, he loves loves the game. He always says he he wasn't as good as uh, me and my brother. Uh, my brother also <laughs> played professional soccer. Um, okay. But you but you have to learn somewhere. So uh, I guess his love for the game really grew on us. And that's great. I always say that it always started. Um, I think I was maybe four. Maybe, maybe really young, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't on a team yet, but my sister played and okay. my dad was, was helping coach her team and he would let me sit on the bench, you know, and I'd sit on the bench with my sister and her friends and awesome. this is a girls team. So I'm just, I'm just on the bench, but um, I think every once in a while I, it would, it would almost be like I'm on, I'm on the team. So I, I always, I always started growing up playing on an all girls team
0: and yeah, yeah. I never
4: got on the field, but it, this is how it felt. I could kick around with them when I could, when games were actually going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but every, everyone there's four of us that really played soccer my mom my mom did she tried indoor league once oh that's cool she was she was the best one there
0: oh really and
4: yep i'm i'm probably the only witness so we'll have to go by that <laughs> so, it's,
0: she, in she, she, it's in the jeans it's in the jeans yeah she she <laughs> gave
4: it a try i don't think she loved it but she gave it a try and that's all we can ask and so everyone plays here so we're always just playing in the background uh, that's good uh, the backyard and stuff like that so we grew up doing it um, my brother started getting really good my sister switched over to dance so there's still two of us doing it.
0: yeah yeah
4: um, but my brother he went to school he played professional soccer mm-hmm. so it just became like one of those things you know like he went to school I said he went to school like man I, sh- I should try to go to school too you know and yeah we're all both working for the same thing and I ended up going to school and I was lucky enough after as well to to play a little bit of professional soccer and it's great
0: so, how long have you been doing illustration? When did you get into art, just art in general, illustration, and then sort of branching into animation?
5: Well, like like my brother, like we we've, we've been drawing since we were kids. Yeah. Um, in high school, towards the end of high school, I I kind of wanted to get into like animation stuff, but I never thought I could do it. So I kind of mm-hmm. picked a different route. I'm like, I'll do architecture instead because it's it's yeah. kind of artsy and a little bit more possible, I guess. Which is yeah. like, Totally backwards. So then I, yeah, I studied, I actually have a degree in architecture from the University of Toronto. Yeah. And then when I graduated, I decided this isn't for me. So I actually took a whole left turn and I went to Seneca College and I studied illustration and animation. Mm. And then, yeah, I've been working since then. Um, it's been a long post-secondary uh, yeah. life, but I don't know it's worth it, I'd say.
0: You know, yeah. Sometimes it
5: just takes a little bit longer to get where you want to be.
0: Which is, yeah, which is all part of it. And you've learned so much all along the way, right? Like all these different experiences help you with not only like your style, but just, you know, just your your art in general, I guess.
5: Yeah. Well, like, I think if I would have just went right into animation, I'd, I'd probably, I probably wouldn't be as passionate about it, not knowing yeah. like the stuff I didn't want to do. You know, yeah. I think that's just as valuable as knowing what you want to do. Because, sure. you know, the grass is always greener kind of thing.
0: No, for sure. Even when it comes to like jobs and stuff, like if you do like a horrible part-time job, like I've worked some pretty, you know, just not fun, just not enjoyable, just like horrible environment, uh, you know, part-time work, you know, when I was a kid and it's just like, you know that you never want to do that. <laughs> so well, it's true. It's like
5: yeah. when I was in animation school, and even when I work at studios, you can tell the people that have only worked in this industry, yeah, and, and they complain. They're like, "Oh, I don't want to draw." Like you're drawing for a living. Like, yeah. It, it could be so much. You could be, you know, selling dope. Like you know, making coffees for someone. Yeah, yeah. You no, know? like, like, I think it's important to have those experiences so you can appreciate. No,
0: it's so true, and. I can definitely see that like they're, they're so used to like the environment, like, Oh, we only have three different types of K cups. Uh, (laughs) uh, But like, it's crazy. People get comfortable. Right. But if you've had those like shitty experiences um, in part-time work um, I don't know. It just helps you grow and sort of understand what you don't like. Um, Yeah. And the
5: the people that have had those experiences when, when they actually find the career that they want, yeah they they don't want to do those shitty jobs ever so yeah. they try so much harder they hustle because they know what it's like on exactly. the other side
0: yeah have you uh what was the worst job that you've ever worked
5: <laughs> uh i mean it's uh like I, i've worked in restaurants i worked in you know chrysler at the car plant the, mm-hmm. that was probably the worst intent in terms of like physical demand okay just eight hours of repetition yeah but again like I don't regret these experiences for sure.
0: Know? Yeah. It helps. You I, grow. Like, yeah.
5: I think everyone has to do customer service at some point in their life and they yeah. just realize that, you know, as Tom Segura says, some yeah. people suck. You know, yeah,
0: it's true. Yeah? It's true. Yeah, I, think,
5: I think that's important to learn.
0: No, yeah. no, it's yeah. so true. No. And, and I totally agree with that. Like, even if it doesn't like, even if it's just like, you know, still an okay job, like there's parts of jobs that aren't fun. You know, like yeah. I hated, um, I did not enjoy being a buggy boy. I was a buggy boy. for. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, especially when it came to the, the weather, when it was bad outside, it's just like, this is the worst job of all time.
5: <laughs> yeah. Pushing them on ice. And then, and then also like when you get older, you, when you see people doing those jobs, like kids in high school, Yeah, you, you got a little bit more respect for them.
0: Of course. Yeah. I always put my cart back. I always put my cart back. Yeah. And that makes me a good person. <laughs>
5: yeah, I try not to. I don't kick them over as much.
0: Anymore. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love it. For training, I did my first ever open water swim last week, I went to my cottage. I haven't been to my cottage um, since last year. So this is the first time I was up at my cottage. And um, I was just like, okay, today's the day we're going to do that open water swim. So I had my parents actually, they were sort of supporting me in the boats, just making sure, you know, I survived the swim. Um, But yeah, I went out for the swim. My goal was to get 750 meters, right? Um, That is the standard distance for a sprint triathlon. So I wanted to get 750 meters. I think I did 600 meters. Um, It was a little bit windy It was wavy the waves were especially going out into the bay the waves you know you could feel it that was a big difference in the open water swim um, experience compared to like normal pool swimming um, so that was a big difference the other difference is that it's seriously terrifying <laughs> i had to take off my goggles mid-swim um, going out because i'm just like this is actually scary just to look into the water it's just pitch black and then you can just see the tops of the seaweed terrifying terrifying i'm just like i don't know what's under there i don't know what's swimming down there but i'm just happy it's not salt water i don't know how people swim open water by themselves in salt water like literally sharks are in there like what is going on i don't know i'm I'm, i don't have the the courage to do open water salt water swimming like geez bro like that's that's nuts that's nuts But I did um, my first open water swim. It went well. It I survived. Um, Obviously, it wasn't fast at all. I was slow. Took a bunch of breaks. Um, My my big issue with swimming right now is my stroke is getting a lot better. Um, But it's the endurance for just going for long periods of time, Um, especially in the open water, because you can't really like you can rest on your back. That's fine but for open water swimming, it's different. Like you can't just go all out for 50 meters for a hundred meters. Um, and then just obviously just chill by the side of the pool and hang off the side with open water swimming. It's all about like, you know, maybe probably zone two, um, swimming. My heart rate was through the roof, the entire open water swim. I was just, I was just stressing out from the waves, from, um, looking into complete darkness, uh, it was very interesting. But it was one of those things that, like, whenever it comes to like facing a fear, or you, if you want to try something new, the first time it's usually not going to be great. It's usually going to be okay or garbage. It's going to be scary. It's going to be terrifying. But it always gets better. It's like going on stage for the first time.
6: One dash kind of evolved uh through a meeting of multiple people but it started originally with a failure okay so um i used to work in the oil and gas industry okay and then i decided that you know i didn't want to do oil and gas anymore i I decided that because i went to a field visit and i saw what they were doing with my company products on the field and i just thought this is not something that i wanted to be part of anymore yeah so I decided that I was going to sell the company. We sold the company in 2012. Okay. And then in 2013, I was looking for something new to do. Yeah, I took my hand at retail, which was probably the toughest uh, business environment I had ever found myself wow. in because, you know, fashion retail was something that was really trending back then. Yeah. And we decided to do a fashion brand out of Singapore, which okay. is very difficult to do because population size is quite small. Yeah, yeah. As soon as we decided to, you know, try branching out and going into the rest of Asia, for we sure. found how difficult traditional retail really is mm-hmm. and then keeping up with it. So the, the business collapsed after a while. For sure. So, you know, whenever there's a, there's a death of a company that you started or something, you, you take time to grieve. But then mm-hmm. we decided we're not just going to sit back and, you know, cry about yeah, it. Yeah, We're going to get back in the game. Yeah. And we, th- we thought, what are we going to do? We're going to build solutions yeah. for retail. And kind of help companies which have this really tough marketing time, okay. and give them solutions affordable but make maximum impact. Love it. And we started off again focusing on the fashion element, which was you know interactive video for fashion. Yeah. Being able to shop, a, like live stream um, a fashion week and shop right there Very from cool. people watching around the world. Yeah. And the pushback was really, was really tough because we went to, tr- again, traditional retailers who were looking for innovative solutions. Yeah. And for them, they just weren't quite ready for that kind of video solution yet. Yeah. And then I met my CTO okay. at that time. And he looked at the platform and he said, dude, we should do this for every company. I yeah. mean, like there shouldn't be a single or a, like industry that isn't using interactive video. Yeah, yeah. I was like, sure. all right, if you're, if you're up for the game, let's do it. So he, he actually was working in a very stable job at the time. He quit. Okay. came to join the company and we took it from there. That was in 2017, that's so OneDash cool. has evolved from that tragedy all the way up to meeting some really great people. innovative people, yeah. and then we've grown into a company now of 20 people. Awesome. Which all share the same culture of innovation. That's yeah. fantastic, I love it. That's yeah. a great story too. Thanks.
7: Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's very cool. I actually kind of described Lyft Like the late 90s, that original dot-com boom. Yep. You had a whole bunch of very strange businesses that were just sort of a a bunch of different revenue streams stuck together. Yeah. This is in the days before Google or Facebook, so nobody really knew what business models were going to take yet. For sure. Uh, Lyft is a little bit like that, and you think about sort of the cannabis industry Brand new to Canada. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knows, you know, how that industry is going to sort of shape up, sort of foundations. Yeah. Uh, so we have built out revenue streams across sort of a number of different fronts. For sure. Um, and that's really sort of been the strategy to this point. You know, yeah. figure out how the industry is going to break and oh, what revenue me. streams are going to drive. So uh, trade shows actually is how we started. So, um, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, actually, the origin story kind of goes back to, 19, uh, to 2014. Mm-hmm. We had like a blog site for medical users. Okay. Uh, so that they could kind of share... What worked for them, given certain you know conditions or whatever, Be, yeah. what different products were working. Um, so what we so we sort of built that under lift.co Co. and then got into events. Uh, okay. So twice a year we host events. They're the largest of their kind in Canada. So it's a consumer end. B two B show. Awesome. Uh, we run one right in this building at the end of May. Um, awesome. for for Toronto and then in Vancouver in January. So
0: awesome. What is that called? What is yeah, that it's
7: called the Lift Expo. Okay. Um, so perfect. it's their consumer days. It's uh, May twenty ninth and thirtieth. Awesome. Assuming uh, assuming everything is better by then. Yeah, and this yeah. Building is open for sure. Yeah. Um, so over the last couple of years, you know, as we've built out a data business, uh, built out a media business, built out events. Yeah. You know, it's pretty clear to us as a publicly traded company, if you want to actually drive some results for shareholders. Yeah. Um, we've got to build a model that's much more scalable and sort of wide, you know, wide scale than that, yeah. uh, and something that you can export to international markets For f- sure. as they tip to uh, to legal. Yes. So we've now started to build out a data business. Uh, it's okay. called Cohesion. That's the brand. Okay. Cool. Uh, we built out a platform. It's all based on sort of a Google Looker infrastructure. Okay. And it's bringing really unique consumer insights data to the industry. I love it. So we're partnered with Nielsen, who I know are big supporters of DX3 yeah. just over here. for sure. We actually had them on yesterday. Oh, did you? Cynthia? Or yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Cynthia, yeah. yeah. So Cynthia and I are, are super tight. Awesome. And cool. And uh, yeah, so we're leveraging a lot of their data to build out uh, one-to-one profiles. Love it. Uh, on cannabis consumers cool. and help the LPs better understand how the market is forming, how to segment it, what types of consumers Great. are interested in what types of products. Awesome. That's, yeah. that's amazing. I so love quite it. Quite the transformation story. Yeah, yeah. yeah, A lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: fantastic. And it's really cool to see that you have both the online and offline business. Yeah. With like yeah. the 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 expo and stuff like that. That's yeah. amazing.
7: I mean, it's, it's interesting. Again, you know, you've got a war chest of dollars, maybe less so now than there were a year ago. Yeah, but, you know the canopies and the auroras, trying to figure out how do they build brand it's in a regu- true, yeah. regulated environment. Yeah. Uh, so we're just giving them a lot of different opportunities, whether it's to the consumer or, in, or in fact, to the trade uh, side of the business. That's very cool.
0: Yeah. So, for
7: somebody that doesn't know Lyft and
0: Co, yeah, can you explain a little bit about specifically
7: what you guys do? Yeah, I think it's best encapsulated as we help. The producers, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the, the folks that you know in, yep. in the cannabis space, build brands and reach the right consumer. For sure. And that's through a whole a variety of different channels. Yeah. So I go to
0: the website, I see a bunch of different brands, a bunch yeah. of different products. I see a lot of reviews. Yep.
7: Very review heavy. Can you yeah. expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So the consumer proposition, you know, uh, there's a handful of customers in this country who mm. actually know anything about the legal rec market. Yeah. Which brands... Uh, do they even have any brand awareness at all, let alone sort of affinity for specific brands? Mm-hmm. You know, when they walk into a store, what are they shopping for? Is mm-hmm. it sort of Indica versus Sativa? Is it THC versus a CBD product? Is it mm-hmm. a balance? What are the afflictions they, they've got? You know, what are they trying to cure for? And yeah. which products are actually going to map? So there's just no awareness right now of any of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really been the challenge, right? Yeah. And so we're trying to build up revenue streams to help bring that information to the consumer. Yeah. And Lyft.co is, is an opportunity for them to share that information between themselves. So that's very, we cool. kind of think of it as like the trip advisor of cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, in, in a world where there's no information, we've got the definitive source of crowdsourced information yeah. on products. Which is everything. Especially
0: yeah. crowdsourced information because that's real information. That's yeah. People that are actually using the products. It's like going to like a Google My Business page, exactly. you know, it's people are actually visiting this business. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. which is fantastic one of the first one was your oyster right yes yeah and i was really fascinated about that behind the scenes cuz i actually followed it i looked at all the the blog posts and stuff like that and it was very interesting stuff um, so can you tell everybody a little bit about your oyster
8: yeah absolutely so the business has changed quite a bit since it started you know the, i launched that in Uh, in the middle of 2014 and at that time it was a site designed to help Canadians get cheaper flights and I I should preface this by saying that I actually didn't intend to start that business it was a complete accident Uh, it it came out of a Facebook post that was really just intended for a couple of friends to see Uh, but because that post went viral uh, and when I say viral I mean you know, the term Your Oyster was trending on Twitter for all of Canada within 48 hours of me posting that. So that, that's, that's the sort so of crazy. Wow. It, it was a very crazy and unexpected time for sure. Um, so I, you know, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I fell into the business. Um, so at that point, I was helping Canadians to fly more cheaply. Um, you know, I've got a lot of tip or not like tricks and kind of hacks to figure out how to get cheaper flights. Uh, But over time, it's morphed into a personal finance site. And our goal right now, as it is in the start of 2020, is to become the largest and most reliable source of personal finance information for Canadians.
0: Awesome. I love it. I love it. Can you sort of break down some of the stuff that was on that site initially?
8: Yeah, certainly. Basically, how it launched was, you know, I, I realized... I'm a frequent traveler, and so I was wondering, how can I save money on flights? Because flights can be pretty expensive, especially if you're going around the world. So I started doing some digging around. I found a couple of strategies that seemed to make a lot of sense to me, but no one seemed to be talking about. So I thought, okay, if I'm you know putting in 10 or 20 of hours of research here, and I'm only just getting to this, how many other people... Are out there that could use this really valuable information, but don't know about it because they haven't yeah. done dozens of hours of research. So yeah. I thought I'll help those people find this information. I'm just going to give it to them,
0: yeah.
8: and that was you know that's the post that I'm talking about that went really viral and and got a lot of attention. But yeah, you know, at the very core, all it was was a blog, a, an information site to help people use credit card points to smartly and very cheaply get uh, flights around the world. I love it, I love it,
0: yes. And that's sort of what caught my attention and it actually taught me a lot. And I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, I'm saying this because it actually taught me a lot about the whole credit card thing and the rewards points. And then I kind of got into it and I'm just like, this is a very interesting approach because I never even thought about the bonus points and stuff like that that you talk about. Can you talk a little bit about like, what's the benefit of having like a travel credit card?
8: Yeah, certainly. There, there could be quite a few benefits. Yeah. Uh, and even for someone who just takes something like one trip a year, uh, they can be very beneficial for you. You know, I think it's important to get over the, uh, the belief that, you know, I don't want to spend money on something like a credit card, right? You spend a hundred yeah. bucks. Okay, that's a hundred dollars gone. I could have spent that on whatever, on lunch, whatever. Uh, But really what it is in most cases is it's an investment. And if you're smart about it, then it can be a very good investment. You can double, triple, quadruple, or even do more with that money that you're investing there. So our ethos is to help people to to understand that and and basically to do the 80-20 for them. So they can just come to our site and see, okay, here's what I should do. You know, five minutes later, they're done. They don't have to think about this stuff. For but sure. to answer your question, you know, what are the benefits of a travel credit card? I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, you, you can get a lot of bonus points, which mm-hmm. uh, you can apply those points for flights and get significantly cheaper flights um, through North America or overseas, whatever. Yeah. Um, some of the cards, the more premium cards will come with lounge access. And I got to be honest with you if you step foot into an airport lounge, yeah. you will not want to give up that benefit. <laughs> For sure, it, it is night and day from just sitting at the gate and eating terrible food from vending machines or from overpriced restaurants, right? Yeah. You go into the lounge, you're there, you're having your buffet food, you're having drinks, you take a shower sometimes. It is such a different experience and you will not want to go back. Yeah. So once you get hooked on these sort of things, then yeah, you're, you're hooked. That's awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. And that was definitely one of the
0: things that stood out when I was reading um, through the your oyster stuff, especially back in the day, because I just had no idea about that sort of stream of travel, which is very interesting. Um, So what has your oyster become now? You said it's changed a little bit over the years. What's the real difference now in that site?
8: Well, there's a big difference, actually. You know, in the beginning, we were running a service to help people get cheaper flights. And so the way it worked is that you would reach out to us and you'd say, hey, I'm going to Europe in August. I want to go to Berlin and London and Amsterdam. And I'm going for two weeks. And the best price I found was $900. Yeah. Like, we beat it. And then I would spend some time figuring out an itinerary, trying to beat that price. Sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. If it didn't work, then it meant that I just wasted an hour because I, you know, I I obviously wouldn't charge someone if I can't help them. Uh, And once you once you waste an hour enough times, uh, you know, you you start getting a little cynical and you think, okay. this uh, this needs to change. This business model isn't scalable. So okay. over time, I started doing it for businesses, which made a lot more sense. Uh, cool. The prices of flights are something like in the order of ten times more expensive, which means I can normally save them ten times as much money. Uh, so that makes a lot more sense. Um, but even still, I, I I wanted to pivot from that business and create something that would be able to touch more uh, more people and. Sure. You know, we were already pretty deep into credit cards. Yeah. So I thought, what if we just go broader into personal finance, right? Yeah. The, there's so much, you know, it's the same problem that um, there's an information asymmetry. There's so much good quality information out there, but it's hard to find and it's hard to understand for the average person, right? We, like I, I went to business school, I took finance classes, Yeah. Uh, I'm not so intimidated by most of this stuff, but, you know, thinking about someone, I I think this is a great way to, to think about your, your audience. If you're building like a business or something, what would my mother do in this scenario? Right. She's 60 years old. She knows a little bit about personal finance, but certainly not much. Uh, So how can I reach someone like her and give her a good recommendation for her specific scenario? So that's what we try to do. Uh, And at the stage that we're at right now, I say we, because we've got a team of about 10 at this point. I love it, um, yeah. And, you know, right now we're we're really deep in the credit card game, but we're also uh, branching out into bank accounts, into investment platforms, uh, these new types of investment vehicles called robo-advisors, which help you to manage your money automatically. That's crazy, um,
0: eh? Wow.
8: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything that's going to help people make smart financial decisions with the minimum amount of effort. That's what we're all about.
0: I love it. That's, that's awesome. So, so you guys have grown a lot from a solo guy to now a team. It's crazy. Yeah, and actually,
8: thank you. All that growth. It, it's funny. All that growth has occurred in the last six months, six months wow. ago, it was still just me working on this, but I really kind of took a step back and thought, okay, how can we build this into something that's actually valuable? instead of it being a bit of a side project for me. And so this seemed like the way forward.